And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. I'm right here. Gotta shoot straight. I'm right here. Gotta shoot straight. Right here, gotta shoot straight. Welcome to another episode of Shooting Straight. I am David K. Montoya. And I'm Randolph Lofgren. All right, kids, we're back this week with a whole bunch of good stuff to talk about. Randy sat down, I was hassling him, giving him crap, <laughs> and said, Make me a list. So he made me a list. Yep, yep, yep. So before we get into the list, let's find out how your week was. From the point of recording episode one to now episode two. How was your week? I had my ups and downs, you know, uh, good and bad, indifferent, however you want to say it. <laughs> I cried. I laughed. I uh, enjoyed good conversation with my brother always and uh, basically just thought a lot. That's what I do. And so thinking a lot let me here and this is where I'm at now. Very cool. Um, any highlights that you want to cover before we get into topics? Well, uh, I've talked in the last episode about how uh, my dog uh, passed away, and it was really pretty rough for me. And I uh, was out there sitting by her grave and just thinking about, you know, how I missed her and stuff like that. And I looked down, and I was like, oh, my God, there's my dog's collar. My brother stepped up when I was gone, and thank God he did, because if I'd have been there, I don't know what would have happened. I probably would have been had taken a mental hospital or something. But uh, when I saw that collar, it was something from hers that, I knew that I loved and that she loved. So when I picked it up, it, it made a lot of things different. The anger and the the sadness that I felt subsided a little bit. And I was happy to have that collar because it just meant I had something from her, you know? And that's totally why I did it too, is for that reason. I knew that it would be something sentimental that you would keep forever because it, it had such great value to it. Excuse me, guys. I'm getting a little teary right now. No, that's that's what this is about. Yeah. That's, you know, we had a, a demo run on YouTube of our show, and we've got the feedback that we got was really, really strong, and they they really admire you for being so open about your addiction and your battles with you know depression and sadness and. And everything that you're going through, people just like gushed at you because of how willingly, how brave you step forward and just put it all out on the table, you know, it, it, and it's it's admirable. And something that I, I've been waiting patiently to talk about, okay, I he's been giving me all these kudos and it, it feels really good, but there's something that I need to address that I need to give him kudos on. You see, kids, a year ago, I was not podcasting. I was not writing. I was not drawing. All I would do is I'd get up, take care of my kids, go to the gym, come home, watch TV, go to bed. Repeat. I did this for two and a half years. And when Randy came back into the picture... He reminded me who I was. Now, I if you go and you, you read I, World of Myth coming up, 
uh, actually, by the time this comes out, the world, the, our, the new issue will be up already. Right. And I talk about, you know, don't let a single thing define who you are. And I totally did that. I, I let, you know, my, my gym, being a gym rat, it defined who I was. I totally lost myself in that. And Randy is the one who brought me back. We started talking. Uh, we, you know, he's like, Hey, remember when we did this, when we did that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that was fun. You know, for sure. And then, um, he started talking and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go buy him a Kevin Smith book, Kevin Smith's tough shit book. So I went and bought it from on Amazon just to inspire him. But secretly it inspired me. It was unintentional, but it inspired me as well. And we talked about the book. And we did. We discussed different things that, that interested us, that, that we had familiarity about, that I had something connected to, you had something connected to, well, whether it be writing or the toughness that, that people go through in life, you know. And um, he's the reason why I, I picked – okay, so after we go and I buy him the book, Tough Shit, then we start talking about comic books again. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. I do. I love comic books. Yeah, I do too. I forgot. And so I bought him a, a book written by Peter David, who is one of my favorite writers, about how to write comic books. I bought him a copy. I bought me a copy. And I started reading it too. And I read this thing 10 – yeah, at least 10 years ago. You know, I'd already read it. And – and it inspired me again. And then I started writing again. And then, we'll see, that was in May. So by August, three months later, one year from where we set, now I realized I, I miss writing. I miss being creative. And that's what I missed. I missed him being creative because in him being creative, it made me creative. And we worked off of each other somewhat like we do in this, this podcast here. We're just the best of friends and everything that we like, it's more likely mutual things. Right. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring back the world of myth. <laughs> and that was – that was it. That was the start of everything over again. Yep. And um, sorry about that, kids. I I have my I have my phone. I thought I had it on. Bad on you. Snap on the hand. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to see. I even turned off the internet on the the computer so it wouldn't ding through. But yeah, I forgot to turn off my stinking on uh, ringer on my iPhone. <laughs> but um. But I want to thank Randy publicly because he's the one who brought me back. He's the one who reignited that creative passion that I had. Well, I appreciate that. And though I'm tired, and we talked about it, <laughs> and, and we were laughing because within the start of the Jaisal Modcast, plus running the world of myth and plus working on books that are coming out, Within this week, I've probably had a total of 10 hours. At least. Of sleep. I'm up all the time here and there, and I'd catch him, and then when I'd get up, he'd go to bed, and then he had to get up that an hour later or something like that to get the kids off. And so he's been really putting it to it, guys. So you got to appreciate what all that he's doing, because I sure do. I was going to say, but I'm loving it. You are, and I and I like that about it. You know, when, when you're happy, I, I feel happy. And it's just because you were in a sad place too, you know, and it's good to see you 
engrossed in something. See, and you nailed it. You nailed it because I was sad. Yeah. I was very sad. And for me, kids, when I'm sad, and Randy can attest to this. He knows me. I shut it out. Yep. I shut it. I just shut the door on that shit. And that's how I deal with it. Right. And obviously we're talking about the, the passing of my wife and, you know, where I was at that time. And for me to cope, I just focused all my attention into being, you know, working out, being a gym rat. And you kind of like slap me a little bit, you know, you're like, hey, you know, come on, come out of it. It's time to come out of it. And though it, it's taken a year, I feel like I've completely come out of it. Yeah. To the point that he talked about, uh, he's got a storage with some personal items and stuff in it, and he feels like he's ready to go back into it and go through the stuff and the stuff that he doesn't need no more that he can get rid of now, that he can part with. It, it, it's a part that will help him grow further. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have the largest storage unit that you can rent. <laughs> so it, it costs a lot of money per month. Back to front, top to side, to side to side. Yeah. And stuff, for example, like – and my my late wife's name was Lacey. Um, I have her clothes. And let's just be honest with it. I have no use for those clothes. That's right. You know, things that I have no use that carry a burden of of sadness need to go. And so in September, I do plan because where we live here in Southern California, they call it the devil's armpit because it's it just it's hot and stinky. Oh, it's hell. Uh, I don't even <laughs> like it. I wish we had more air conditioners. I know. Uh, except for today. Today's been nice. We actually don't even have an air conditioner. We have a fan No, going. it's great. It's beautiful outside. Sky's nice. Wind blowing. Not too bad, but a cool breeze, you know. But um, so in September, I am going to go and purge, essentially, is what yes, I'm going to do. Yes, purge. That's a good word. <laughs> okay. So what do we want to cover first? Where do you want to start? Well, I'd like to go back a little bit, like you started, and say uh, – about my addictions, I explained last time, won't get too far into it, but I was 23 years deep in methamphetamines, mm -hmm. and uh, people should know that. But the, the fact of it is, not just that I was 23 years deep in methamphetamines, I had a whole bunch of circumstances and things that happened during those 23 years, and I'd like to talk about that. You know, just, just one thing right now, just touch on, because if I was here, I could talk on that one thing for the whole show. Right. And if you want to, we can totally do that. No, I got other things I want to rant about. <laughs> okay, so we're set the stage. Where do you want to go? What year? Um roughly. I was seventeen. It was probably nineteen ninety five, I believe. Ninety four. Uh I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And let me tell you, that was traumatizing. All I could think of was I'm gonna die. Let's let's go a little bit further than, into that. What okay? What caused you to find out? <laughs> the funniest thing in the world. I'm a danger 
adrenaline junkie when I was younger, especially around there. A little bit less now, but you give me a challenge, I'll still go with it. But I was jumping off of a bridge near where I live. There's water in a lake. Uh, may I say the place? Yeah, of course. The uh, place is Lake Isabella, California. And the lake is Lake Isabella, <laughs> of course. And uh, the bridge is near French Gulch Marina. Everybody jumps off it. Although, sorry, I'm probably going to get in trouble. It's against the law to jump off of. But I, I jumped off of it. When I hit the water, I didn't have my legs completely together. And I slapped my testicle. And, and then it swelled. And then it kept swelling and it kept swelling. So I went to the doctor. I was two months with swollen testicle right afraid to tell my mom because i was embarrassed she never seen me since i was a baby naked right, right. and i showed her she goes oh my god how long have you had that and i was like two years or not two years sorry two months now and she's like oh my god we gotta go to the doctor something's wrong with you and then i went to the doctors and my longtime doctor told me uh, i had testicular cancer as weird as this is about to say that was actually a blessing in disguise. Yes, it was. Because you you would have not said anything. Yep. Well, actually, let me back up a little bit. There was no there was no swelling or anything before no. jumping off. So you didn't even know. No. So you it, it could have been progressively a lot worse. Oh yeah, you know it could have been, and it, and it did end up getting worse. You know later on through the whole thing. But at uh, that point in time, I was young enough that I could get through it, even though it was real hard. Now, let's just take a look at who you were at that time. You were a football player. Yes. And a wrestler. Wrestler. And what else? Track and field. Track and field. I knew there was three. I knew there was And a- track and field was my thing. I, before I got cancer, I was actually going to go to the Junior Olympics I'm still undefeated in my county, Kern County, for shot put and discus. And nobody's ever beat my records. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what, 25 years later? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you find out that you have cancer. Right. Go ahead. And and then, of course, they say I have instantly go into a, uh, operation. And so when they go in, most of the time they take both of your testicles. But I caught it in a soon enough time that they removed the one testicle, but in the process of removing it, it did spread and metastasize to, metastasize. Metastasize to the rest of my body. And I, I never actually had what they would call a form of cancer that kills, but I still produced tumors. And it spread to my lymph nodes and in my kidney and everywhere. And from 17 to 23 I fought cancer. I went through 12 surgeries to remove tumors and stuff like that. And then finally, I got released from the doctors and was told I could go live my life and do it. Because most people, they turn 18, they get to go out their adult life, start it, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't so fortunate. So it wasn't until I was 23. Right. But the thing of it is, kids, that during this time, I was still doing my drugs all the way through. Because I didn't think I was going to make it. And I still, you know, was doing the things that I thought I needed to do, you know. Right. Well, yeah, it was a kid mentality, you know. Right. It, it's – you – I don't know how to explain it. It's just you think differently even at 17, 18 years old. Right. You're just – you're wired differently, you know. And and I, I, I totally get that. So you were still – 
Now, were you partying with other people, or were you just doing? No, I was partying with every other people and stuff like that. Uh, I remember my 18th birthday actually getting out of a surgery and going to a kager for my birthday, and I was still doing chemotherapy. I had just started. A matter of fact, 10 days, October 5th, uh-huh. is when I was diagnosed. That's 10 days before my 18th birthday. And I wasn't sure that I was even going to make it to that 18th birthday. So when I did, I decided to celebrate it no matter which way in between that I was going to. You know, So we had a kager and we drank. Of course, I got sick and my 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 white blood cells went down and I had to go into the hospital and everything. But I did it anyways. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, you were a kid. You didn't know better. Right. Well, I mean, there's always that sense of reason, but you're like, yeah, you know, it's my 18th birthday. I'm a quote unquote, you know, I'm a, an adult. Yeah. You know, time to celebrate. Yeah. Okay. So you're 18. Uh, you, you have your party, you get sick. How long were you in the hospital after your birthday? Uh, a whole month. Okay. Yeah. Cause I had, uh, just begun my chemotherapy and stuff and I, they call it the red devil. It's one of the worst chemotherapies you could take. And because I have thin blood cells, you would know more about that. They couldn't uh, put a catheter in or, or not a catheter in to put it directly in. So they had to do it all through my veins that were in my arm. And they collapsed most of my veins when they did it all. You know? Yeah, there's a thing called a portacath. And what it is is it's a direct link. It runs it in through the... Oh, goodness. I Main wanna... ventricle or something like that. Right? Well, it, it goes into, I want to say, the vena cava, the superior vena cava. It goes in somewhere in like right in there, and it goes right into the heart. Right. So, and it's pumped you know, a lot quicker, a lot more efficient. And like you said, it doesn't collapse your veins. But because if your hemoglobin is too high or too low, depending on how thick, well, if, if, Depending on how much hemoglobin you have in your your blood makes it you know thick or thin. So like you're saying because it was too thin, that's too dangerous to put it in near the heart because you would bleed to death. Right. So that makes sense. That makes total sense. Right. So okay, you you have the what what do you call it? Red what? Red devil. Red devil, which is something that I I would not want to call a chemo treatment. Oh, uh, you know? not at all. Um. Yeah, Red Devil is something that I would certainly not want to call. Yeah, it was eight cycles, two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. Oh, yeah, I lost my hair. I was a big football player, 360 pounds, squatted 1,000 pounds, uh, bench press 420. And uh, after that, it was just 223-pound skin and bone Randy. Now, since we're talking about that, there's something I've – I never thought about I, – I wanted to ask you, but I never thought about it until this very moment, and I'd always just passed it off. Is that what opened the door for you and your weed? Yes, it is. Actually, uh, uh, I was dying. I was going to die. I couldn't build white blood pressure, white blood cells, and uh, my cousin brung over a High Times magazine, and it was the first article ever published about medical marijuana, mm-hmm. and he asked me to read it. I read it. Basically, it was about a mom 
that kid was dying and she couldn't do nothing, but she was also depressed at the time. Right. And so by doing depression and her being depressed, someone said, you should try smoking marijuana. And so she started smoking marijuana. Funny thing is, is she was smoking it around her son and her son was getting secondary high. And from getting secondary high, next thing you know, he started like accepting the treatments better and wanted to go outside and play and wanted to eat. So after I got done reading it, I was like, well, I'll try anything. Well, right yeah. then and that, my cousin pulled a big sack out of a chocolate <laughs> tie and said, well, here, and a brand new pipe and said, please try it. You know what I mean? I don't want you to die. And I uh, I tried it and I started smoking it. And I know the Lord put that in my path, but because of marijuana, it made me hungry. I wasn't depressed as much. And I, I could do things that normally I couldn't do. As long as I smoked before and afterwards, it made it more accessible and easier to take. Right. You know? Which makes total sense. Because I remember being a kid, I remember seeing a picture of you. You know, uh, it was about that time. It was about 17, between 17 and 18, you know, around when you started having treatments. Because I remember you were bald and you were super thin. And ever since, from as far as I can remember, even when we were little kids... You've always been stocky. You've had a natural build to you. Yeah. And I remember seeing you, and you were thin. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, what's wrong? <laughs> and I was told that you weren't eating. So that's, yeah. Right. And which is, from what I understand, is a natural progression from cancer and chemo. Yes, it is. It makes you not as hungry. Or if it does, it makes you more hungry. But then you get sick from eating more food so by eating or by smoking marijuana eating it it subsides that 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 reaction in your body that one from the cancer fighting the white cells trying to attack it and the chemotherapy helping it out and, and trying to kill it but like through that all still you get sick you know what i mean but it just made it easier you know so you you're fighting for your life um, you've been introduced to mar medical marijuana, essentially is what it is. Yeah, it wasn't medical then. They didn't have a, a thing where like you had a card and stuff like right. that. Right, but I but I mean it was for medicinal yeah, purposes. Yeah, for medicinal purposes, yes. But you still did speed, methamphetamine. Yes, I now, still did it. Now, what was the mindset there? Was it just because – were you addicted or were just you made it feel better or were you at the point I of – I was addicted. Uh -huh. And I really didn't care if I died or lived. And I figured I was going to die from this, but I was still doing it. So I figured if I'm going to survive, then I'm going to survive either way. And I did. And that's not something you should go out there and do. I'm not suggesting it or anything like that. But Absolutely. Um, so what what effects did it have on you uh, emotionally? Oh, uh, I found out later on when I was older that when you're young at that age, you may not be able to honestly process and accept what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as a child turning into an adult. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until I was older that I could go back and see it that I actually was traumatized by it. Which from an outsider looking in, I, I totally see it, you know. Something like that would traumatize the hell out of a child. Yeah. And I didn't know it traumatized me. You know? You're just trying to roll with the punches. Just go with it. You know what I mean? Make it through it all. Yeah. So then 
at what how old were you when you said that it was gone uh 23 he's doing some math real fast eight years later i believe it is all right i know there's there's though this is the reason why i bring it up because i know the specialty behind it but go ahead and tell the story of what of you being quote unquote cured of cancer oh yeah first of all I learned to do different things in my life towards the end of of that 23 when I turned 23. And it was like almost as if I was doing medical tests on myself. Right. I realized certain things I ate, certain things I did, certain things I drank. Uh, I stopped gorging myself as much. And I learned more about myself and my body. And I started becoming a more positive person back then. And I, I, I used mind power and told myself I was going to make it through it. And by doing that, like, they pulled so many tumors out of me. I, I had a 32-pound tumor inside me. Wow. And it was wrapped around my aorta. And they th- it was spiderwebbed out through all and lymph nodes. And so I had a lymph node dissection. But the final time they went in for surgery, my own body produced a type of antibody and it used my white cells and my scar tissue, which scar tissue is a way of like healing, fixing the body when it's missing something, right? Am I correct? Yeah, you're in the right way. And so last time I was growing a tumor in one of the same places where it was connected to my kidney. And my scar tissue started growing faster too around the tumor. So the last time they went in, they didn't have to touch just the tumor because it's a proven fact that tumors grow and spread through the body with oxygen. So they went in and just removed the whole scar tissue with the tumor inside of it. And I never had cancer again. And then it was like two or three years later that that a doctor, oncologist had called me up and I thought, because I always get tests, you know, every month to see if my, my, my markers are up to see if my cancer markers are up. And I hadn't seen him in a long time and I was scared while all of a sudden they wanted to call me and come in. And then I went to a place where I had done my chemotherapy and it was a scary place. And all I could think is I got cancer again. I'm going to die. I can't do it this time. And when I went in, they're going, uh, well, why are you here? And I'm like, you're asking me why I'm here. Come on now. That's not cool. to be doing this. And I'm like shivering. I don't like the doctors because of all this stuff. Let me tell you. Too. Oh, I, I, yeah. And, uh, she goes, well, you know, you're just fine. Oh, well, they told me I needed a checkup or something. Well, uh, I want you to know that you're one of, back then, you're one of 10,000 people that are now on the cured list. And I was like, what? Yeah, you're on the cured list. It'll never come back to you ever again. Your body doesn't show it, doesn't produce it. It isn't even in your body no more. Which is absolutely amazing. Yes, it really is. And that they wanted, continue. Oh, and that they wanted me to go to UCLA and do tests on my blood and stuff like that because they said that there might be an answer or a cure to it. But I was so happy from just being cured and stuff like that. And you might say a little selfish back then that I just wanted to start living my life. I didn't want to go be a guinea pig for somebody, even though they were going to give me $100,000 a year, a big old flat a condo apartment with video games, anything I wanted, buy me whatever I wanted. I still didn't do it. I wanted to just live my life. Well, for the first time since uh, of your adult life, it was your life. Exactly. You had, I wasn't tied down to anything or had to go to the doctors all the time. You know, 
So, sorry kids, I was just taking a drink of my tea. So you're you're essentially cured. Mm-hmm. You're still doing meth. Yep. Where where do you want to go next? Uh, well, it was time to get a job. Okay. I, my parents figured that I've been through a lot, but it was time for me to, to get off on my own. So they pushed me kind of out of the nest for me to fly. And, well, I got a really good job. And uh, that's because my dad, my stepdad was working for a company and he brung me in and I started working with him. And then uh, I did so good. I went from $11 an hour to $17 an hour in just a couple of weeks because I helped to invent some of the stuff that it took to make this company. You know, no patents. I wish I would have thought about it. You know what I mean? Right. But then the next thing you know, I got my own truck, my own credit card. And my own crew, but I didn't get to pick my own crew. And these guys didn't know jack shit about nothing. They worked for J.C. Penney's and and like Montgomery Rogers Jack in the Box. I can't remember what it was. And right. I tried teaching them how to use tools and stuff, and I just felt real bad. And I called my dad at lunch that day, and I was like, Dad, I don't want to work with these guys. You know what I mean? And he was like, Well, just do it. You know, get through. It. That's who the guy, the boss hired. And I'm like, I don't feel comfortable. I feel like something's gonna happen, or they're gonna cause danger to me. And I, I, I have this thing I always say to my brother, maybe I shouldn't open my mouth because I manifest what happens. But I basically that day worked all by myself, did the work that needed to be done for that day and get this tank that we were working on uh, clean and fixed and ready to be retrofitted. And as I'm coming out of the tank, the guy is holding on to it and there's another guy watching Usually you have a bucket that you pull your tools up for that day. They kept on aggravating me. Oh, come on, hurry up. He said we can get off early. We got finished early, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, just give me a minute. And I grabbed all my tools, and I had them on my belt and in my hands, and I'm climbing up the ladder with one hand. And the next thing I know is I, I can't get through the hole. So I take a couple of my tools off so that I can fit through the hole. And as I'm doing that, the – Guy let go of the ladder, and I instantly in my head flashed to no. And right when I said no, don't I was gonna say no, don't do that. The ladder slipped, so I tried to climb up it as fast as I could. It was too late, it slipped. I fell backwards, and next thing I know, I hit the ladder because it was halfway on one side of the tank and another, and then I hit the bottom. And like that old saying is, when you die, the the light comes before you and it goes real small and then flashes your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that exact same thing happened. Plus the wily coyote as I'm coming down, my whole life flashed. And and I thought I was dead. And then the next thing I know, I heard this. And it, it ended up turning to Randy, Randy, Randy. And I come to it and I couldn't even talk, but I could hear people hollering at me and they were panicking. And I'm sitting there and I didn't know at the time, but my back was broken. And I, I called him up. And I'm like, get the emergency ladder. It's over there. And I had already showed them where all the emergency stuff is, but they were all panicking. So I took a bent ladder that looked like a, a scoliosis back, a spine, and I climbed it up and to the top and uh, basically had a broken back, was in severe pain, and took care of my own self and got myself out. Wow. And, and how old were you? I was 25. Damn. Yeah. That, yeah. That. Still doing meth. Still doing meth. <laughs> okay, so how long did it take for you to heal from your back? 
Well, back then, everybody didn't just have medical. You know, I, I was already old enough to where I wasn't on my mom's Medi-Cal or her insurance or anything like that. Right at 25. So all by myself, I went from 25 and it took until 30 to where I could actually walk and be all right. But I've always been in pain ever since. But now I, I've learned over time to block it out with my mind, which is bad sometimes because I work and hurt myself when I'm doing stuff. So I try not to overdo it, you know. Right. But uh, basically about five years all by myself. I went online and learned different exercises for when you break your back. It's, it's before Google and stuff, I believe. If not, I'm totally mistaken, you know. Okay, what do you got else on your list? Where do you want to go? Oh, I just have something that I wanted to say. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody uh, for their support. It means a lot. Uh, most of all that I've said is just something that I feel, and I know that you guys can relate to it. So I just wanted to really say that I appreciate you all. You know? Yeah, because you, you got a couple of comments from the, the early listeners so from YouTube. Yes, I did. I did. And I hope to get more. You know, I'm going to give my uh, email out here in a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I don't mean to laugh, but the last time I got a, a comment from a, a podcast, I was doing Seeing Red, and I, I got a <laughs> got an email, and it said, it, it literally, it was just like, you, just you, and then suck, S-U-X. I'm like, oh, gee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, go ahead. But yeah, it's it's um, the the test the test audience loved the first show. Right, and I'm glad because it just makes me want to do it even more, and I I enjoy talking to my brother, spending time with him, and this gives us a little bit more time to spend together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the upside to yeah because I I know you. Oops, I know you. Um, kind of stay away, especially when I'm like super knee deep busy in something. You won't even come and talk to me. You'll just let me do my thing. Yeah. So this gives us an opportunity to sit down and talk. Right. So yeah, absolutely. And it's fun. It is fun. Yeah. Wanted to do it yesterday, but just wasn't filming it, and things didn't work out. But I'm here today. Well, that and I, I was working on. You were busy with your Notnum script. Which I need to print out and let you read because it, it came out really well. Kick ass, huh? Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else you got? That's all I wrote. Okay. Um, Come with. Let's see. Yeah, because. What you got for me? We've got, what, 35 minutes. So We already went through that much stuff in that little bit of time. Yeah, we've, we're at 35 minutes, yeah. Oh, this rant then. Got anything? Hmm. Come on. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of something that I can talk about that would be appropriate to talk. Uh. Okay, hold on. Um, do you want to talk about how you stopped doing drugs, or do you want to wait for another show to do that? No, we talk about it. Why not? I basically got thrown into it. I didn't plan on coming and staying here with my brother and everybody. 
not trying to be religious or talk about religious, but the Lord basically put it on my heart to come and see my brother because I hadn't seen him so long. And I knew that Lacey, his wife, was everything to him and his kids are everything to him. And I hadn't even met but but Jaden, which is his son. The and he one, was two, I believe. He was two. And I was like, you know, it's just time to go see him. And, and, and I feel that he needs me. I don't know how. Or maybe I need him. I, did, I didn't know really anything because I was mush melon again. Like my brain wasn't really working right. And I was talking funny. I was mumbling, you know. And when I got here, they seen how bad off I was and all the stories I had to tell them and what was happening in my life. And they were like, you're staying here, you know, and, but you can't do this, this, and this, and this. And I was like, okay. So the first six months, I don't even remember here. No. Not really. I mean, you bring up stuff, but I'm like, oh, okay. So basically, I just did it cold turkey. I just stopped. I slept a lot, you know. Uh, I tried to didn't go nowhere i i only friend i have is really my brother you know i, I don't want to be around people because i i don't know the right people to be around right now you know i think that that's changing just by even on your on online acquaintances that yes it is it's it's changing you're you're coming into a new new demographic i am and i i can tell just by the, the little interaction that you're having with these new people, and I hope not to jinx you, <laughs> but you've only said you know what I mean twice. Really? Yes. Oh, thank you. I've been kind of keeping track. And you haven't said um one time. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I've been engrossed in what you were telling me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to say you know what I mean because it wasn't like you had to get it and then give it back to me and let me know that you got it. You already know all this stuff, but you just helped me along the way. This ain't all made up or anything like that. This is straightforward. Shooting straight. That's right. And that's one of the things I think that really propels this show is that this sounds like something that would be like a, a blockbuster film dramatic, <laughs> you know drama film i've always thought of my life like that too don't i think about everything like that because i mean at 17 years old you develop cancer you develop an addiction to speed you literally are cured from uh from cancer but you continue your addiction to speed they offer you Money, housing, everything that you want for, you know, a study. Study. Thank you. I was, I was trying to think of, you know, you decline your addiction to speed. You get, go to work. You get paid $17 an hour in, in the 1990s, which is like stupid money. That's a lot of money in 1990. Well, 1990s. You were 13 in 1990. Yeah. <laughs> and then you break your back. Takes five years to recover. You still have the the drug addiction. Yep. That sounds like the first half of a motion picture. <laughs> it really does. I know. That's what I've been saying. You know? I'd love to turn my life into a book or, or a movie. You know? I think other people relate to it. S. Sadie Burbank did that. Yeah. Red Hills, Green Vines. That's right. Like that's right. And that was good. And it's it's 100% 100% true. 
And that's what makes a good story mm-hmm. is the fact that it's true. So when you're listening to this, kids, know this is not bullshit. This is real. He's not fabricating anything. I can verify what he's saying as true. And that's what makes it more gripping. And as I say that, I would like to go out one more time and say that as you're hearing this, drop Randy a line. Motivate him. Encourage him. Because while he still he's 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 kicked the speed habit. He's still fighting some demons and he needs that help. And I find that when he's encouraged by other people, it gives him more it, it's more uplifting. It gives him more self control. And he does better. So Hit him with an email address. Uh, you can reach me at randyman2388 at gmail.com. And they can find you at Facebook. Facebook and Instagram. Still not Twitter, kids, but I'll get them there. Yeah, he's getting me everywhere, that's for sure. <laughs> so with that, just drop him a line. It doesn't even have to be, you know... Anything spectacular. Just, hey, just thinking about it. Good, you. bad, or indifferent. Criticism is good, and I love criticism because it, it, it makes you a better person if you just don't take it personal. Right. And that's that's kind of the thing that I think both of us were taught at a young age. Don't take it personal. Right. I think I've said that recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying not to. So, another thing... That we're going to uh, one of these days. I, I don't. We're we're veering the. It's going fast. We're at forty-one minutes. So we're. I can't bring it up. Well, I'm going to bring it up, but we're not going to talk about it. Is uh, just because I wanted to tease him. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> he is a huge Infinity War fanatic. Oh God. <laughs> You are not right. <laughs> yeah. uh, the research and the time I put, I'm getting chills from it. I know. It's nuts. I lost sleep for days and days <laughs> over this. I was up forever. <laughs> I wasn't a, and I kept telling my brother something and then he'd be like, oh. And then he, I'd give it to him and the next thing you know, he'd send me a link and I'd be like, don't do this no more. And then there, recently I found out some more stuff. Do you ever want to know anything about anything about that? I got it all out. Now, I may not have the story right, but somewhere in between when I get it all put together, I know I got the answer. When did we – we seen – it was opening night, right? Yeah, opening night we saw Infinity War. What What was your – now – Oh, you want to ask me what was my my pinnacle moment of that movie or what? Yeah. I was... That Hulk got beat down. There's something to Hulk. And he, they sent him off to Doctor Strange and them. Right when when uh, Tony Stark Iron Man was with them all, and Iron Man's connected with uh, Thanos somehow because they both see each other's dreams, you know. Oh, here you go. See. So uh, he's he's legitimately buried himself in the um, the mythos of Infinity War, and I know he's he's studied it. He's watched 
not only has he watched the cinematic universe, the live action, he's watched the animated versions. He's read comic books. He's researched online. He's watched YouTube. He's watched – or not watched, but read articles. So I know his his um, passion yeah. for the um, for the story. So – I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull you down that rabbit hole. I just want to say one thing before we go out. Yes. Uh, a lot of people in this world need help, but everybody should remember this one thing. You may want to help somebody, but it's never supposed to be a handout. It's a hand up, and you can always feed somebody by teaching them how to fish instead of fishing and getting them a fish. Damn, that was deep. That was very deep. That's very true, too. Yeah. Teach them how to do it themselves instead of doing it for them. Right. That's what's always been with me, you know. If I don't know something, I try to learn it or ask. And I don't believe in belittling people for something that they don't know. Teach them is better than belittling them. I've learned personally that if you teach somebody and you teach them right, then it becomes... They become a helper. They become part of your crew that you can rely on. Right, right, right. Inner circle, whatever we go, Castle yeah. Grace goal. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say inner circle. That's funny. I was just talking about inner circle today. Um. Oh, I said it. Ah, damn. It's because we're we're reaching the the final minutes yeah, of the yeah, show. Yeah. Zoe. Hi, Zozo. Has slipped into the studio. You want to say hi to everybody? Oh, she yes, she does. She wants to podcast so bad. I know she does. So let's see. Um, where is there? It is. Look at that. Oh, look what I have on standby. Zoe is my middle daughter. She will be seven September twenty seventh. She is in first grade. And she grew up listening to podcasts. <laughs> and when you hear her speak in just a couple seconds, because I'm, I'm setting her up, when you hear her speak in a couple seconds, you're going to say she's seven. Because she has uh, she doesn't speak like a, a six-year-old. Oh, she's very intelligent. Sometimes she argues with me and I don't know what to say. All right, let's see. You're going to have to talk, Uncle Randy. Hey, what's you doing? Come here and talk into the mic. Hi, Zozo. Hi. How you doing today? Closer. Good. Yeah? You want to talk about anything? No. No? You just want to say hi to us? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? I'm sure you got something on your mind. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Zozo. <laughs> she is very fond of her fun uncle, as she refers to him as. <laughs> All right. You sure you don't want to say nothing? Nothing at all, Zozo? You always got something to say. Come on, tell them about your Pokemon game. No. No? You got to talk in the mic. You know. You did a podcast. No? All right. All right. Well, we love you. All right. I think that's a, a little cutesy, upbeat thing to end on. Yeah. Um. Every episode, you said you're going to end with uh, your little saying. So go ahead and end with your saying. Remember, anything that you need to do or you want to do or accomplish, 
just do it no matter how you got to do it. That is awesome. All right, kids. Thank you so much for coming back for episode number two. Yes, thank you. Uh, we went a little bit deeper this episode because we set the foundation in episode number one. People got to know who you are. Right. So now we can go deeper. We can learn about who you are as a person mm-hmm. and your experiences. Like I said, track him down. Say hi. Give him some love. He loves the love, especially from a pretty woman. Just throwing that out there. Oh, thanks. <laughs> For this week, I am David K. Montoya. And I'm Randolph Lofgren. Have a good week. Bye. I'm right here. Got to shoot straight. I'm right here. Got to shoot straight. I'm right here, but you've got to shoot straight.